Now, now far be it from me, but in the houses that collected BB guns and in my neighborhoods and in my friends' kind of lives, you had to build that shit and earn it. They'd give you the parts for Christmas, but you was not fully ready to fire. People were building BB guns? I'm really glad I grew up on, like, Nintendo 64 and PlayStation 2. (laughs) Oh, dude. I don't think that you've lived until you've gotten nailed in the neck with an airsoft rifle that your best friend's older brother just finished building three weeks after Christmas. Getting nailed in the neck. That can't be, uh... try and get my parents to watch soul with me on disney plus on christmas because we like watching pixar movies together but that is gonna cost right i don't know i think it might but i don't care at the risk of sounding horrible i'm just really excited we're finally getting a pixar movie with a black lead (laughs) so i'm gonna throw money at it because i want them to see that diversifying their visual portfolio with people of many races colors and creeds uh, is good and important. Is that the one about like, in the barbershop or something? I believe so. The main guy is a jazz musician. Oh, yeah. And he's... Yeah, I remember the commercial now. I think he falls down a manhole and dies, but, like, isn't, like... He can, like, become undead. Like, he's gotta, he's gotta fix it. He's, like, telling the story of how he fell in love with music or something like that. Yeah. But also, like, hey, uh filmmakers stop making films with black leads where they turn into some anthropomorphic something partway through their movie like listen listen disney i'm really proud of you for announcing your princess tiana series where she's going to be a princess the whole time this week (laughs) i think that's going to be awesome princess tiana is actually my favorite disney princess despite her movie not being my favorite movie i want her to do good things and I'm excited you're giving her an opportunity to. <laughs> However, that does not make up for the fact that for 70% of her movie, she's a fucking frog. I mean, hey, that's the hells we have to take for some reason. And that's not just a you know. Disney problem, by the way. Will Smith and Spies in Disguise inexplicably turns into a goddamn pigeon. So I just hope that if Soul is, is doing this, it's doing it for a good right reason and justifies the initial eye roll that i'm rolling yeah but i don't want to say speaking of eye rolls because i didn't eye roll any of the movies uh to cover you didn't eye roll at love actually um because it's it's totally eye rollable but that's part of what i love about it I mean, well, actually, I I take it back. I actually kind of I I kind of roll my eyes at um Jingle Jangle, just the, <laughs> the the very grandiose ridiculousness of that movie. The moment that I eye roll that was when the little girl they were going down the tunnel and then they went through the fan in a slow mode. And you can just oh, see how ridiculous it is. I started cackling. I was like, this is amazing. 
So I guess we can start with Jingle Jangle. Yeah, we can. In in the interest of full disclosure, I had not seen this movie before we watched it for the pod this week, but it had come up as a suggestion. Like many people I know had been like, have you seen this? You should watch this. And Netflix didn't really advertise it. So like, shame on you, Netflix. I think other than, um, oh my God, other than I, Roma. I oh. always know when the next season of Queer Eye is coming out. You know, like, even if they don't, like, advertise in, like, the ad sense, you know? Yeah. I need I, more social media posts about this movie, please. Thanks. I think the only movie I can remember being advertised on was Roma, but that was because it was trying to get the movie of the year award. And it did. It did. Does it deserve? Uh. I need to revisit it because I watched it a, on a, in a year I was very cynical about movies. <laughs> Um, I don't think it did, but we can we can keep going. So a bunch of my friends were like, "This movie's amazing," and I was like, "Is it?" <laughs> so I have pretty high standards for musicals, especially movie musicals. And I was like, I didn't hear anything about this when it was being made. It just like was. They're like, "It's here, Jingle Jangle," and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" So enough people were like, "This is amazing," that I was like, "Okay." The Christmas movie that Netflix made last year was Klaus, and that was amazing. So let's see. Yeah. I know that one of the things that is so compelling and appealing about uh, Black Panther is its use of Afrofuturism in a yeah. mainstream context. And the thing that I loved about this movie is that it, it did the opposite very well. It was Afro-Victorianism. Yeah. And I don't know that that's ever been seen on quite this scale before. The only At least can, in something that got such a wide release. The only thing I can kind of think of would be when when Houston produced Cinderella with Brandy. Yeah. Cinderella. The, that's, that's the only thing I can kind of think of. Which, really. also excellent. So, both my dad and I watched it together last night. He missed, like, the first half an hour. And we were both immediately drawn in by the costumes the use of color and pattern with the classic Victorian silhouettes and then also the dancing and movement yeah, with its really beautiful mix of African and traditional European movement styles. So clearly whoever wrote the music for choreographed, did the costumes for like did black Panther levels of homework. Yeah. Which is amazing. And is it's very refreshing to see a take on Victorian that's not pulled directly from the Masterpiece Theater costume closet. Yeah. Now that said, I really enjoyed this movie. I found the story just a a little lacking. I mean, you know the funny thing? So after I watched all three of these movies, well, actually it was more so even in the middle of this, the last one I watched, Christmas movies, well, one, they're not about Christ, which I'm 100% content with. But specifically, other than being near December 25th, I think there's a lot of themes that are kind of baseline. Yes. But I don't want to, but it's not necessarily complicated. I feel very similarly about Klaus. Yeah. 
it really frustrates me that it seems like a lot of movies that don't have like IP, you know, so like aren't Moana 2 or whatever, like have to be about Christmas or have to be about like the tooth fairy, like something to make them marketable, I guess. Oh, yeah. But yeah. like Klaus is a much more interesting movie if it's like it could still be about Christmas, but like that holiday song that they shoehorn in there that's like Christmas like that's too much it's too much yeah you know so there's there's this idea that it can be like Christmas without like like Christmas can be a setting like remember when we talked about Batman Returns yeah and this is why Die Hard's a Christmas movie or Edward Scissorhands yeah. those are both movies that take place at Christmas you could watch at Christmas and get a sense of the season but could also watch in October or whatever and not be like, ow, my Christmas. Like, yeah. And I feel like this movie tried really hard to be like, okay, but it's about Christmas. <laughs> he's a toy maker. He's, he's an inventor. Well, he, he sells toys. So I caught a chunk of the Robert Zemeckis polar express recently it just happened to be on amc and i couldn't find the remote so i watched like 45 minutes of it or whatever and that movie made the concept of belief into an explicitly christmas message and jingle jangle went yeah yeah belief is about christmas and that's the only issue that i have with it is the idea that like somehow because it's christmas and because his daughter is back and because his granddaughter is brilliant only because all of those stars aligned is he be able to believe in himself yeah. it's not even santa yeah this movie is about forrest whitaker rediscovering his self-esteem but he can only do that because it's christmas like if if his granddaughter was in the slow classes boy Right, or if she came for Easter, like, <laughs> exactly, or New only, Year's, right? It's she only been homeless by New Year's. It's only because every single thing lined up just perfectly that this worked. Yeah, and I won't say that that cheapened the experience at all, but I will say that it definitely made everything a little more noticeable. Yeah, because you know what movie like talks a lot about like the joys of being a toy maker and stuff. And I, I'm not saying this is a good movie, but I am saying it's about like bringing joy to children without being about Christmas. I don't say toys. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, toys, toy story. Like there are a lot. Yeah. Also, you know, just FYI, uh, the podcast, I feel like we didn't cover this adequately in our Mike Nichols episode. Justin Hoffman apparently is a bad man and we do not stand him on this podcast. Jesus Christ. Oh, he's been like me too'd like over 30 times according to one article I read. I mean, vaya con Dios. And like listen, I think it's it's no secret at this point that we try to be pretty informed consumers on this podcast. God knows we've had the Johnny Depp the Johnny Depp kind of discourse through the ringer and back. Yeah. I haven't read that Hollywood Reporter article yet because, frankly, I can't stand to be more depressed. But, like, <laughs> we we try to be informed consumers here on uh, we should do this again sometime. So, you know, I'm not saying go watch Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium and stand Dustin Hoffman forever. I'm not saying that. But, like, 
it is a movie about bringing joy to children that is not contingent on Christmas. Yeah. Those movies exist. At a certain point, right, you reach what does Christmas have to do with it? Yeah. And and this movie has that, like, I would say this is even more egregious than than Klaus, where I was watching this movie and I was like, okay, so he's able to save his store, which is great. Capitalism, He's yep. got Buddy, which is great. The bank but, is behind him now, yep. But he can't sell Buddy now because Buddy is the only one and also it's Christmas. So if if you don't have kids like toys for your kids, then you're just a bad parent. And like, what? And yeah. listen, Anika Noni Rose, give that woman more jobs. Give her all the jobs. Yeah. And her song about trying to fix a relationship with Forrest Whitaker. I've come this far without your help. Forgiveness show ain't easy. Don't know what I'm gonna do. Or if my heart will find its way to you. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Everybody is doing the most in this movie. The absolute most. Shout out to Ricky Martin. Who oh my god, the, the most. The animation on the doll was superb very glad my expensive ass tv was able to watch it (laughs) and his him being a voice actor and that was it was it's one of those things where it's like well why hasn't ricky martin done voice if he has i don't know if he has or not but he also thank god he had kegel mike and michael key to work off of yeah because he as an actor is so unpretentious about getting bitch slapped by a doll repeatedly you know it's that definitely has roots in this comedy yeah so you know this idea that he is able to be menacing when he grabs journey's arm i audibly gasped i was like oh oh no yeah but then to see him get whacked around by the ricky martin doll i'm like (laughs) and that's a lot of layers to put in one performance in a holiday movie musical for children yeah again to circle back to anika noni rose she gives it the most when she sees him for the first time and you see like 86 emotions flash in her face for just a millisecond each before she goes i'm here to pick up journey yeah (gasps) to the point that i was i was actively like misting up when he opened the cupboard with the letters oh yeah i remember that scene yeah like i And and he's giving it its all too. Forrest Whitaker is selling. He's selling everything. Yeah. He's selling the pawn shop. He's selling the boxes. <laughs> he's selling the you, you know, the United Kingdom Postal Service. Like he is selling everything. I think my favorite character is Miss Johnston. Her thirst was something else. I mean. We we appreciate women who try to go for what they want on this podcast. Yeah, we do. I think mine might be Jessica. Okay. If I had to give a give it a favorite. Although I do really love Journey. And this is something that maybe only Eric will appreciate. Shout out to to Eric. Go listen to it. it's like a podcast or whatever if you don't uh already. But uh Journey to me was almost an American girl doll. 
Yeah. And like, she's a very real girl. She has real feelings. When Forrest Whitaker shouts at her and she runs away, that's so real. When he decides to help them and they figure out what speed they need to go through the fan blades and she kind of without thinking goes like, I love you, grandpa. Like, she's a very real little girl. Yeah. But her thing is inventing. And they do such a nice job with that. And if there were kind of an alternate history where it's a little steampunky, you know, yeah, she would be an American Girl doll. There's no doubt in my mind. That kind of spunky inventor character who, who builds and asks questions and is inquisitive, but very kind of polite and kind at the same time, maybe a little nosy. So this is Madeline Mills. And they said this was the first mm-hmm. thing that she's done. I I could have swore I've seen her before, but I guess it is the only thing that she's done so far. I would also feel remiss if I didn't just like encourage people to start using people of color to start using like some of these songs for audition songs in musicals. <laughs> like if you can belt, use "Make It Work Again." Like literally destroy my life with your talent i caught usher on one of the songs there john legend he's uh one of the eps on this yes so yeah he also wrote he has a bunch of the music credits yeah so for this movie aesthetically it's it's gorgeous i think the actors are giving their all i wouldn't necessarily say there's any bad performance really no the only thing would be then is, is this really a Christmas movie? Or is this just a movie where Christmas is just the background setting? This is a movie where it needed to be a Christmas movie to get made. Yeah. And I would say that this movie has A, performances, A, aesthetics, A, music, C, story. Yeah. C, tie into Christmas. It may be even. I would, I would say, I, honestly, F, tie into Christmas because this is a kids action adventure movie and netflix said if you can make it a holiday movie we'll release it and they were like throw a christmas tree in yeah it's it's really a science fiction musical fantasy fantasy musical no it's it's a steampunk call it a steampunk because it is it's a steampunk musical like if you put this on june the 14th the story is basically the same his creditors on his ass is about to get evicted and then he he Fixes his broken relationship with his daughter through his grandchild. Yes. Now, I wish that this were a little bit more like, because it's so close to Christmas, I don't buy that Gustafson is screwed this year. If he left it that much to the last minute to premiere his toy, that's on him. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. Because it's, it's Victorian England. Like, there's not, you, like, there is a mail service but it's slow. You know, it's the turn of the century. Trucks are new. Yeah. Automobiles are new. Yeah, you have a factory and that's awesome, but like if it's December 22nd, yeah. No one's going to have toys to open on Christmas. So like it got to the point where I was able to pick those things apart a little bit in my brain and I was like this is the first Christmas where he ran out of the stolen ideas. Right. But but I thought the idea at least somewhat was implied that he was good at business and that's why he was able to be so successful with those stolen toy designs is that he was a showman he was business he was whatever you know he was a little slicker and 
like the fact that it's December 22nd and he hasn't even been like, I have a toy presentation coming up was like, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. This should have been a movie about the lead up to the Christmas season in like October, November. Yeah. Not about, it should have been a race to who can get the best toy out this year. Not mm. about, I don't want to get evicted on Christmas. Like, you know, it's, there's so many good ideas there that are almost there in terms of like a subversive Christmas movie or even a lead up to Christmas movie that they just don't do. I'm even thinking right now, like even if it was a movie they built up between like October, November, and then Christmas comes and then they finally figure out, you know, how to invent the the toy and it's flying around. But then he's like, well, you know, I have my daughter again. I have my granddaughter. You know, I don't need this shop. You know, we just have Christmas and we're all together. And that's all that really matters because it's Christmas. Like, yeah. That could have been doable. Right. Or even just like, imagine if the daughter came to, to pick him up because she had read in the paper that he was releasing a new toy and he assumed she assumed he was ignoring the granddaughter and she comes and sees that they're working together on it. Yeah. You know, and it's her design. Yeah. That could have been just as pa- like and uh, this is not a dig on anybody's part because I think some of this is for sure studio interference. I love this movie. Yeah, it's really good. Highly recommend just, it. Just let me love this movie all year. Do you think you can pop this in on March 30th and still get the same joy? I will let you know on March 30th. <laughs> because I think I could. Yeah. Cuz I'm I'm listening to the soundtrack now. I've been listening to it the whole time we've we've been here. And unlike Muppet Christmas Carol, and this is not a dig on Muppet Christmas Carol or whatever. There are no bells. There's no really Christmas sounding. Hmm music wow that's a thing in the back of the movie there's not a lot of christmas bells listen listen if you're listening to the podcast pause us in a moment i'll tell you when and go listen to i'm gonna make it work again and tell me it didn't sound like it came from the soundtrack of burlesque or like the movie with Cher or uh any broadway musical that's come out recently Tell me it doesn't sound like it was cut from the script of Dreamgirls. You know, like, and you can't. Yeah. Or come back and tell me, yes, this is clearly a Christmas song. And if you can, if you can look me in the eyes with a mask on, with a completely straight face and say, yes, this is a Christmas song about my broken relationship with my father with a percussion break. I mean, you can look at the titles of the songs and none of these titles are Christmas at all. So this is an amazing movie that fails as a Christmas movie. Yeah. And the fact that Christmas is only really shoehorned into the subtitle should say yeah. all that it needs to say. But it works on every other level, though. Yes. So. And it, it, I would argue that it even works as like, if in your mind, a Christmas carol is like the ultimate Christmas story. This works as a counterpart to that. Yeah. You know, if you only watch period pieces for holiday movies, which you're wrong, go watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But, like, if that's your thing, you know, you only watch it for, for Christmas Carol or whatever, then this is a wonderful response to that. Or, yeah. or I would say it even works in tandem with that. Maybe the only reason I would say that it's explicitly a Christmas movie 
is because it portrays so much joy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Like, does it feel like it needs to be a Christmas movie to portray black joy? I mean, if you're trying to get them Hollywood dollars, if you're trying to get them Netflix dollars, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're going to be pumping this out. Hopefully, they're doing more advertisements the closer we get to Christmas, but Christmas at the time of this recording is only 11 days away. So, so if you like this movie, watch this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, watch this movie. Because this movie, from what I've understood reading about it, has been in the production pipeline for 20 years. Christ. And it took until, you know, whenever production started. So let's be generous and say 2018. It took until 2018 for them to be comfortable doing it with a majority black cast. And uh, if we don't show this movie an appropriate amount of love, it's going to be 20 more years until we get a Christmas movie for everybody for with so much joy and attention to detail with a majority black cast. And that's not fair. Yeah. So, hell, if you hate musicals, mute it. Put it on while you're working in the background. You will not be <laughs> bored with the visuals. But Netflix needs your streams and your attention right now on this really excellent project. Yeah. Live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York City, it's me, Crank, ruler, well, mayor of Dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one, The Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Batty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki, aka The Shredder. And we've put aside our differences with the Ninja Turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes sports and entertainment news stay all the way and hear who Saki is named as his Cretan of the week and find something valuable in the shred commendations so we'll see you on apple stitcher spotify or wherever your pods are casts the shredhead pod is a member of the hyphen podcast group so you kind of alluded to the ridiculousness of this earlier but what about love actually made you roll your eyes multiple times? Everything about it? So, Billy, welcome back to the Airwaves. New Christmas single cover of Love Is All Around. Except we've changed the word love to Christmas. Yes. Uh, is that an important message to you, Bill? <laughs> Not really, Mike. Christmas is a time for people with someone they love in their lives. And that's not you? That's not me, Michael. When I was young and successful, I was greedy and foolish, and now I'm left with no one, wrinkled and alone. <laughs> wow. Uh, thanks for that, Bill. For what? Well, for actually giving a real answer to a question. It doesn't often happen here at Radio Watford, I can tell you. Ask me anything you like, I'll tell you the truth. The best shag you ever had? Britney Spears. Wow. No, only kidding. <laughs> She was rubbish. Okay, um, here's one. How do you think the new record compares to your old classic stuff? Oh, come on, Mikey. You know as well as I do, the record's crap. <laughs> but wouldn't it be great 
if number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager, but an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price. All those young popsters come Christmas Day, they'll be stretched out naked with a cute bird balancing on their balls. And I'll be stuck in some dingy flat with my manager, Joe, ugliest man in the world. Fucking miserable because our fucking gamble didn't pay off. So if you believe in Father Christmas, children, like your Uncle Billy does, buy my festering turd of a record and particularly enjoy the incredible crassness of the moment when we try to squeeze an extra syllable into the fourth line. <laughs> I think you're referring to uh, if you really love Christmas. Come on and let it snow. Ouch. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. Was it like, a good roll eye or a bad roll your eye? Oh, it's a combination of both. <laughs> um, there are some things where, like, Emma Thompson goes, you mean to tell me that there were lobsters present at the birth of Jesus Christ? Where it, she's rolling her eyes, so I'm rolling my eyes. I mean, it's kids. You know? I mean, yes, but, like, it's such a good line. Yeah, it's, it and, and the exasperation that exists within it is so good. And the performance is so good. Yeah. Or like when Alan Rickman goes back to see the, and you know that the girl in the office got the necklace. Yeah. I roll my eyes. Whenever Hugh Grant talks, I roll my eyes. Jeez. Um, okay. Now listen, I am an, if you've, if you've checked out my letterbox recently, I'm so sorry. Because uh, all I've been watching is The Undoing and Hallmark movies. Damn. I'm really sorry to hear that. Can you tell him depressed? Anyway, um, <laughs> so I like Hugh Grant a lot as an actor. And I think that this is actually one of his strongest and most nuanced performances as an actor. Until like The Undoing, which The Undoing is amazing. If you, at least for performances. Story-wise, I think it's a little meh. Especially if you know how it's going to end. Yeah. If it's been spoiled for you, I'm sorry. I don't think you're going to have the same experience watching it. But it's worth checking out for performances, I would say. But, like, the speech that he gives about, this is England, damn it. And, like, <laughs> we, we've got David Beckham's left foot and David Beckham's right foot. And, like, David Beckham also me too But, like, whatever. Uh. Um, <laughs> you know, this, it felt, well, one... Anytime the world shits on America, it, it's more than likely owed. But it is kind of, it was a bit, may, I don't know, maybe it's American, me being an American, but it was kind of like, all right, guy, all right, you shitted on Billy Bob and his terrible wig long enough. Let's move it along. Yeah. But for me, the only part of the movie that I never really rolled my eyes at, and I think is one of my favorite portrayals of like masculinity and attractiveness in men is Liam Neeson. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. I mean, who else is there? Everyone else in the movie is kind of trash. Um, The Office Bay. I never knew his name. Carl? Yeah, he wasn't real. Well, um, yeah, no. He As soon as he found out that her brother was disabled and he, he was signing up no for ass. the two of them, he fucked right off. Oh, man. Hey, man. Which is... A horrible way to treat Laura Linney. Or I anyone, mean, but mostly Laura Linney. Who, 
that's a hard conversation, man. Like, but it's... you have to have the conversation. Just fucking off isn't. You can just say, "I didn't realize I was signing up for all of this, and I'm yeah. sorry. I don't think I can do that." Touche. You got a point. You got a point. That's it. That's all. All I needed from that was that. Damn. Liam I... Neeson understands his kid is going through it. Was he the only not trash man? Oh, no. I would argue that, like, Hugh Grant is not super trash. I would argue that, like, Bill Nye and Bill Nye's music producer are, like, trash, but in a way that's meant to be endearing. Also, like, stop hurting Emma Thompson, men. (laughs) I'll kill you all myself. So, did he actually hit or was he about to? Touche. Touche. Because, like, as far as I'm concerned, at a certain point, like, the sex is not the problem. Well, yeah. It's it's the betrayal of trust. The idea that this is my person, this is my partner, this is my co-parent. Yeah. The the actual sex part is one of these steps on the road to the problem, but the problem was already step one. Yeah. No, in this case, he was willing to drop mad money, buy jewelry for, and clearly had a more-than-friendship yeah with this woman yeah and he was lying to his wife about and was unable to like share yeah with anybody yeah and instead of be like this is my friend or this is my like work my work you know kind of confidant this person has helped me keep my my head screwed on in this crazy year and i'm very grateful for them so i bought them something nice yeah I mean, by he, heart jewelry. Oof. Yeah. It's not about the sex. Yeah. It's about confirmation that he's lying to her. But because she loves the kids, because she loves him, actually, she stays. Damn. Mm. I'd have to chuck the deuce, man. Mm. Well, right. But, like, you're not Emma Thompson in that situation. It's true. And true. that's like the thing that I like about this this script, even though I have a lot of issues with it, and like the everything with Colin Firth, who I love, but everything with Colin Firth makes me roll my eyes. That was everything with awkward. the guy who everything with the guy who goes to America makes me roll my eyes. <laughs> everything with Kira Knightley and uh, Andrew Lincoln, of the Walking Dead fame makes me roll my eyes. Man scheming on his best friends wife and then so is the narrative of the movie trying to tell us that at the end when she goes to kiss him that it's cool because it sounds to me I, it is I think shitty. the idea is that it, it is a reward for being willing to be vulnerable in that way and I don't necessarily agree with that as like a, a moral yeah. but in the sense of like a, a narrative thing, like that's his reward for being brave with his love. Oof, I guess, man. I agree with you. Like, but... I, like I said, it's not, it's, this is not a movie to look at and be like, all right, Johnny and Sarah, like my children, this is how love works. It could be, but like maybe also cut the pornography, but like, <laughs> <laughs> at least that was the pure, the, the literal, the purest, that like, was so good. Yeah. Like, if there's any... Actually, the funny thing is, if there's any relationship... Oh, he's to, the least trash man. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they're literally naked, but they're just 
they're honest with each other as far as they're warming up to each other. They're, well. They check in on boundaries a lot. Yeah. I thought I was never going to make it here today. The traffic oh, was just unbelievable. Judy, um, could you take the top off this time? Lighting and camera need to know when we're actually going to see the, um, the, the nipples and, and when we're not. Yes, okay. Right. At least it's nice and warm in here. <laughs> yeah, it's not always the case, is it? I was, um, I was standing in for Brad Pitt once. I'm, you know, seven years in Tibet. Yes, yeah. Bloody freezing, right? Yeah, sorry, guys. Time's pretty tight and we have to get the actors in. Fine. I promise I won't love <laughs> And, and Jerry says if you could just put your hands on her breast. All right, okay, yeah. Is that all right? Yes, yeah, fine. I'm going to warm them up. <laughs> and, and massage them, please. Junction 13 is just murder, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Total gridlock this morning. And they actually build something from the ground up as opposed mm-hmm. to, oh yeah, you're my you're you're my subordinate at work. I think I want to bone you. Like <laughs> very icky boundaries being crossed. Yeah. Although I do feel like there's there's a lot of communication that happens regardless. Liam Neeson as the dad is great. And yeah. it's clear that he really like is into emma thompson but has accepted that that's never gonna happen and because he loves her actually it's he's okay with that he would rather have her in in his life than not at all yeah the thing that i think and i I know we touched on this a lot last last week right was the idea that like love and christmas being kind of synonymous in a lot of these movies but I think that the reason that I love this movie so much is that it, it touches on multiple kinds of love. Yeah. So like, yes, I'd say 40% of the movie easily is eye rollable. <laughs> yes. But how often do we get a movie that displays so many different types of love as valid? Yeah. So Laura Linney's love story is not a story of her and the guy from 300. And yes, he was in 300. It's, it's the love story of her and her brother. Yeah. And, and Liam Neeson's love story is not him and Emma Thompson. It's him and his son. Steps on at that. I think it's, it's his son, isn't it? No, nah, he, well, actually he was the stepdad until his, his wife, wife died. died. Okay. And now he's just, he's just a ward now. Yeah. But yeah. You know, so it's about that love. Yeah. It's kind of portrayed in the movie that, like, it's about the kid and the the, the girl, the girl yeah. kid. But it's not. Like, at the end, like, he and his dad still, stepdad, still hug it out. And it's about their bond together to make that happen. Well, you know, Sammy, I'm sure she's unique and extraordinary. But general wisdom is that in the end, there isn't just one person for each of us. It was for Kate and Leah. There was for you. And there is for me. She's the one. Fair enough. And her name's Joanna. Yeah, I know. Same as Mum. Even Colin Firth's is about love, I guess, but it's also like 
his love of writing, his love of, of privacy, his love of whatever. And like, listen, I have a lot of ethical issues with how that shook out, but like her family and the way that she is cared about by them, even though to us it's played for comedy, like that's still love. Yeah. It was very sweet. And it's about that love. This movie invests so much in the people as people, even if they're romance movie people, that they all feel earned. Well, the only one that doesn't really feel earned is a guy that goes to Wisconsin and pulls, not not only pulls one, not two, not three, but four of the most beautiful blonde. Hey, two, two of those were for his friend. He's, he's a share. He's not stingy. No. Like, that shit was so ridiculous. Oh, we that all sleep in the same bed. Very, very British. Yeah. Like, that's that was just absolute farce. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, but, like, farces are great. I love me a good farce. But did you love it in this movie, though? Oh, no. I hate this. <laughs> I hate that part of this movie. Because it was like it was totally useless. We're out, like, of, we're out of nowhere. Suddenly, all the women that we've established with like beautiful, strong characters just stop. Oh yeah, all of them are thin spo. They're blonde, and they just want to sleep with British men because they have accents. Like for the listener at home, I just drank half a glass of wine in one sip, <laughs> hearing Marcus say all those things back to back to back. So, I mean. That, that that shit was it was ridiculous oh, actually yeah i hate it anyway <laughs> oh man my dad claims to hate it and i think he does my mom also claims to hate it and i said i just i rolled through 40 percent of it but somehow it always ends up on it's enjoyable it's it's enjoyable it continues to perpetuate that message that apparently i value very much in my christmas movies which is it's actually just about love so this movie, Love Actually, is not a Christmas movie. I would argue that Love Actually is more of a Christmas movie than Jingle Jangle because it is about the Christmas season and the pressures of the Christmas season, but also how the Christmas season is romantic, where Jingle Jangle is like, toys, Christmas, right? And that's not necessarily always synonymous. If Jingle Jangle is like a 5% Christmas movie... I would say this is like a 20% Christmas movie because I'm not sure that this would work as well if it were like Easter, actually. Like you can have Thanksgiving, actually. You can have, new, uh, they already did the New Year's Eve. Right. I think that was 200 cigarettes. It was some movie. Not well, they, ha- they literally had one called Valentine's Day. I think it's important in this case because it adds a lot in this case, but I don't think that... This I think there's a version of this movie where it's not Christmas. Yeah. Oh, I was right. It is 200 cigarettes. That's what I was thinking about. Which was 99. But hold on. So maybe Love actually stole from 200 cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Possible. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Malachi. And this is Alejandra. And you're sitting on the couch and your life is passing you by because you're not watching Insert Name Here. Catch us Wednesdays at 8 p.m. on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you missed us, you can catch us on Friday on Spotify and Amazon. Yeah, obvious nonsense, gang, gang. Hyphen podcast squad, you never take us down. So, Klaus is basically about the origin, the genesis of Santa Claus. But yes. is that really a Christmas movie? 
I would say of the ones we watched today, it is the most Christmas. What's your percentage, though? I would still probably give it like 35. <laughs> None of these movies even talk about Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, but in, in, in 2020, yeah. how much of your Christmas experience is Jesus-based? Touche. Touche. Because, like, for me, right, usually as a family, we go to Christmas for two we go to we go to church for two christmas services and even then that's just because i was in choir for 10 years and i love the music mostly we go for me nothing wrong with that so for me christmas is not very contingent on jesus but christmas is contingent for the love that i feel from other people so maybe that's why these are the the movies that mean a lot to me and why the muppet movies also mean a lot to me you know because they're about the heightened love that we often feel at this time of year, you know, but there's also a downside of that. And I think that's explored really eloquently in Klaus through his heightened loss. I'm kind of joking about, you know, there's, there's no Jesus in any of these movies, but even kind of thinking about, you know, any Christmas thing I've ever consumed other than when it's specifically about, the birth of Christ. No real Christmas movies about Jesus or Christ. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But also in a lot of ways, much to Kirk Cameron's chagrin, Christmas has grown past the birth of Jesus Christ in a lot of ways and into commercialism in a lot of ways, but also into this secular ideal of application of the teachings of Jesus Yeah. without the Jesus branding. Someone uh, filed the serial numbers off of Jesus is what I'm trying to say. The Jesus IP is right. It's, uh, it's not really there anymore. And one of the things that I really love about Klaus and I really value about Klaus is that it, in a cartoon format, tackles not only the, the highs of giving and showing your love to somebody, but also the lows of loss and spending a holiday season without somebody you love and thought you would never have to spend a holiday season without and both of those perspectives are right and good yeah and i'll i'll be honest um the end of this movie always makes me like a little i I won't even say like i don't i don't really get teared up i get like very like i kind of hunch my legs up into my chest and like give myself a hug because the the idea that like i'm coming love Go, uh, I, a lot of people haven't seen Klaus. So, hey, the internet. If you haven't seen this movie, go watch it right now. We'll be here when you get back. Um, <laughs> I can't believe it lost an Oscar to Toy Story 4. And I really liked Toy Story 4. If nothing else, aesthetically, this movie's a treat. There are a couple of weird music choices, and that's really my biggest detriment with this movie, is that it feels so produced. But everybody who's acting is acting their tails off. Everybody who is animating is animating their tails off. And it makes such a beautiful story, minus that pop song, that, like, the pop song doesn't even seem that bad. But the idea that it's about 
love and about grief and about at the very end your love and your grief intermingling you know for one day you you get to experience your love and your grief together and that's how you grow and that's what makes it okay so for people who haven't watched klaus like i said before it's kind of the origin of how uh santa claus became santa claus did you at some points think it was because you kind of knew where everything was going to go. You just didn't know I was going to get there. Like the, like the reindeer, like how that started. Like I thought it was funny. And I think that was actually of everyone that, of all the Santa Claus tropes that happened. I think that may have been my favorite one, but it was kind of like, I'm just waiting for everything. I'm, I'm waiting to see how he got the red suit. I'm waiting to see how this, even when the sled, the, the wheels came off the sled, I'm like, uh, I see what they're trying to do there. Yeah, but if it wasn't so sincere about it, I think it would probably bother me more. Yeah. But, like, I love the idea that, that by giving a gift to the Sami people, the, the nomadic people that were largely kind of pushed out by civilization, the way that they give back is by, by taking care of this person and making him part of the family. And part of that is is making him a suit of clothes so that he can dress like them. Yeah. And, you know, I love that they they fill the advent calendar of children with friends and loved ones and people whose lives they've all touched together. Yeah. There are a lot of funny moments where he talks about the naughty list. Okay, post office is now officially open. You have your letters, step right in. Thank you, thank you. Ah! Hey, loser! What gives? I sent my letter and all I got was a lousy clump of coal. Well, it serves you right. Devilish little tadpoles like yourself don't get toys from Klaus. Oh, yeah? And how would he know what I'm up to unless you ratted on me? Oh, I didn't have to. He knows. (gasps) What do you mean? He sees everything, you know. Every mischief, prank, and dirty deed. He keeps a list. The... Naughty list, he calls it. You lie. Trust me. You do not want to be on the naughty list. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't feel that the story was written to explain those things. I feel like they wrote the story and were like, oh, right. Like, this explains the naughty list. Great. Like, (laughs) and I'm sure that's not what happened. The fact they can make it feel that way, that you can get so wound up in the story that you don't even until after go like, okay, well, there were the reindeer and that was the naughty list and that's the clothes and that's the, you know, is like pretty powerful storytelling. Yeah, they did a good job with that. For me, like, yes, a little bit, obviously, but that's also why it's 35% Christmas. (laughs) What is like the most Christmas movie in your opinion? Uh, probably Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. I think I want to go with Christmas Story. Oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> Why do you hate Christmas Story? <laughs> okay. So when I was in middle school, I saw a Christmas Story for the first time. They showed it in school. Evidently, I was the only kid in the entire fucking school who had not seen a Christmas Story. Everybody was quoting along and making fun of me for not knowing it. I didn't think it was funny. By the time I got to it in, like, what, 2009? 
it didn't feel original derivative or fresh anymore. I was seeing it in cricket wireless commercials <laughs> and like, I saw nothing to enjoy about it. I saw a kid Damn. being abused by his father, but at least it's Christmas. At least like, it's Christmas. <laughs> I saw a negligent mother, but at least it's Christmas. At least like, it's Christmas. <laughs> nothing about it was appealing to me except as making excuse for th- excuses for these shitty people by being like, Christmas. at least there's Christmas, which is not <laughs> something the parents like do. They don't make Christmas. I mean, like, they it's do. a story about abuse <laughs> that they forget once a year because they get presents. I mean, hey, man. It's not about love. It's about tolerance for stuff. Hey, man, that's a lot of people's Christmas experience. <laughs> yes, but that's not the Christmas experience that I think should be the, like, romanticized yardstick for Christmas. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying that Christmas story should be that. Like, we have a dad in this movie filling up a fucking lamp. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile, honey. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Like, he can't pronounce words correctly, so... Because he's yeah. drunk. I mean, hey. But, but no, like, it's definitely not... It's not ideal, but it's it's what we got. It's what we got. So I would probably argue that A Charlie Brown Christmas is maybe, like, the best Christmas movie. If we're talking about checking the Jesus box, checking the unconditional love box... Jesus isn't Charlie Brown's Christmas? Linus gives the whole speech about the shepherds learning that Jesus has been born and banding together to take care of an innocent child despite their fear. So yes, I would argue that they use the teachings of Jesus to to shower unconditional love on Charlie Brown, who does not feel cared for during the holiday season. Poor little Charlie. Miracle on 34th Street, I would also probably... Give a thumbs up on that. The original or the remake? The original. I mean, you could have saw both. I have hold seen on. both. The original. I was going to um, say, hold on. Can't, I can't bang on you watching old movies now. Why? Because I'm old? <laughs> oh, man. I doubt a cat. You never doubt a cat anymore. I'm sure some people would probably make an argument for It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Which I have never finished. Scrooged. That's cool. I should watch that. I own it on DVD. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I think Scrooge is overrated, honestly. At the risk of sounding horribly cliche, perhaps the best Christmas movie, the most Christmassy Christmas movie, is the movie that feels like Christmas to you. And for some people, maybe that's, you know, Mickey's A Christmas Carol or... It's Love Actually, or it is Jingle Jangle, or it's Klaus, or the Hallmark classic, A Christmas Prince. It always feels like Christmas when I watch dumb Hallmark movies with my mom, because we only watch them around Christmas time. Yeah, because like Christmas Story for me, because you said you didn't watch until like 2009, so how how old were you, like 13? I think I was 12. When I watched it, I was 12. So for me, the first time I watched Christmas Story... I think in like ninety, like ninety seven or like ninety eight, TBS whatever reason 
it was either TBS or TNT where they just did 24-hour Christmas story. And then so that would just be kind of on while I was opening gifts, like and in between playing like new video games that I got. And that definitely, especially as being a kid, like having that one thing that you want all year or like for like the months leading up to Christmas and you find like, you don't even think you're going to get it. And then you finally get it and the payoff for that. But everything leading up to that, like, you're right. Like it's not a lot of Christmas cheer. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, a lot of parents. I, I didn't have bad parents by any stretch, but it's a lot of non christmas e type of feelings, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my favorite parts of growing up as a kid, particularly for Christmas, was the Christmas music, my mom getting a tree and us decorating the tree for you know that first day or two. And at night when all the lights would be out in, in our apartment and the only thing would be on would be the Christmas tree. And that was always like a cool ass shit. And then Christmas day, obviously, but yeah, Christmas story makes me think of that. Raising that time for it. It just makes me anxious. <laughs> damn. Cause God damn. Like I'm just waiting for the dad to take a swing at the kid. Oh, the whole movie. I mean, he wanted to. I'm pretty sure that was probably in the script somewhere. If he wasn't fucking that lamp, he would have. He was, maybe that he needed a lamp to balance himself out. Like, yeah, he he needed a sexy leg lamp to not beat his children. You know, a healthy and well-adjusted household. I mean, hey, <laughs> they gave a kid a gun for Christmas. Like, they're not a well-adjusted. <laughs> Follow Kat at Kat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Follow Marcus at Showin' Mad Love. S H O W I N M A D L O V on Twitter and Instagram. Follow the show on Twitter at Kat and Mark. And join our We Should Do This Again Sometime Facebook group. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and the Mark Rob, T H E M A R C R O B dot WordPress dot com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained? Yeah!